Genesis 16. We finished um, <coughs> through verse 7, or through verse 6. We found out that God had made a promise to Abraham, and, and after the flesh, he, he copped out and went in the tent with Hagar. And we figured out he wasn't in a prayer meeting and all that stuff. And, um, and we studied Hagar's relationship to the law in, in Galatians, remember? So tonight we're going to look some more at, at Hagar. <coughs> um, Harry reads seven, uh, <coughs> 7 through 16. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. By no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I forgot. Um, <clears throat> remember I told you that the law at that time uh, prevented... <clears throat> Hagar is pregnant. And the law at that time prevented Sarah from selling her slave. She couldn't just go out and sell her. So Hagar's, I mean, so Sarah's only option that she thought was, was to, to, to uh, make life difficult for her, so she runs away. And so uh, she made life very difficult. Uh, Hagar was pregnant with a child from Abraham. Abraham thinks that he's following God's stuff. He's going to get a because God just told him that there would be a would, the promise would come through his loins. Um, so he's just doing stuff. But Sarah gets really ticked off when she sees that she's going to be left out. And so she starts uh, persecuting. Hagar. Now that the symbolism is, is it's still valid. Sarah represents the bride. And Hagar represents the whore. Sarah represents the promise. Hagar represents the natural. The way things work without, you know, the normal course of the Gentile mind. But it's, so therefore Hagar represents the natural or the, the flesh, Sarah represents the spirit. So, the point is, is that Sarah, the type of the bride, she's, she's not too nice here by, by man's understanding of niceness. She's, she's just getting mad in hell. So she starts persecuting Hagar. Well, that's what Galatians talks about. The flesh is always trying to suppress down or persecute the spirit, and the spirit is always trying to suppress down or persecute the flesh. I mean, it's the way things work. So that you cannot do the thing that you want to. Because your want to's, all, every one of your want to's, is simply to follow an idol. That's all you're capable of wanting. There's no want that you have 
that isn't following idolatry. I mean, you can't name one. So all that's happening, the same in you, the spirit is, try, is, is just messing you around, and the flesh is trying to mess around the spirit so you can't do the things that you would. So what happens to Hagar? Well, we'll find out. Okay. Through the spiritual cancer. Right. <coughs> uh, Mudrest. So, uh, spiritual mudrest. Sarah dealt hardly with her. She fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. Okay, let's stop a minute. They're up here uh, at Hebron. Okay, so Hagar takes off. She's going back to Egypt. Because, remember, her father is the pharaoh of Egypt. She doesn't need this stuff. <laughs> She's going to go back and live in the palace. She doesn't she want any more of this stuff. Dirty, sandy stuff. I mean, she, wants, she, wants, she wants a place to be clean. That's reasonable. <laughs> she wants clean towels. <laughs> She's not into camping. That's reasonable. Her idea of camping is holiday <laughs> in. <laughs> well, she's not. She didn't have a lot of class. It's the Holy Land Motel. Right. Okay. So, but the the angel found her. So that we know that's a big guy. Right. The angel is Christ. The angel is the word Malak. It just means um, a messenger, deputy. And it legally, I mean, from the standpoint of, of, of in the first century church, I am called an angel. That's my job. I'm a messenger. You see, we have these little small, cherubim small wing a. stuff. Small a. Small a. Cherubim and wing stuff that are... It's not the A isn't that small. Anyway. It's the angel that has to sit in the hole. But this is the first mention of the word angel in the Old Testament. The angel. Okay. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer, Beer La Heroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. 
And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Okay. <clears throat> There's all kinds of stuff we can study out of here, but I want you to see that God's answer to every time, every problem that you have, is to submit. To submit to the authority, submit to the situation that you're in. Now the reason is, is that if you buy, if you voluntarily submit, what that means is, is that you, no matter what it is, I don't care if it's Hitler, at that moment, the moment you submit, what it means to submit is to see that person as the hand of God. The moment you submit to it, then a mystery takes place. Then the covering, the veil of the flesh is taken off of you, and therefore God can then deal with whatever the situation is. But the more and more and more that you try to deal with anything, you try to flee from it, <clears throat> what happens? God sees that, you think, man, I'm doing something neat. I'm, I'm getting away from something that bothers me. God sees it as a rebellion against him. And he sees it, he sees that rebellion as witchcraft. You know, in the Hebrew language, there's no concept of individualism. In fact, individualism is equated to witchcraft? To rebel against authority, doesn't matter whether that authority is just or unjust, it doesn't matter whether it makes you feel good or not, to rebel against that authority is to rebel against God. Everybody understand that? You'll be in trouble the rest of your life unless you understand that. That's a fair story. No, I, I can't understand that. Well, God, there is, go to Romans 13. This is one of those things that will produce the Infamous, I don't like this reaction. <laughs> Every one of you. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher power. For there is no power or authority but of God. The power or authority that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resistance, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers or authority figures or whatever are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now there, 
Do you understand? God, whenever you see the word good and evil in the Bible, it has nothing to do with what you think is good and evil. It has to do with what God thinks is good and evil. God thinks one thing is good. What? That you ascended to the Father. That Christ ascended to the Father. That's the only righteousness. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. For he is a minister of God. Whatever that authority is, he or she is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, i.e. resist, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now what does this mean? Most of you have spent your entire life in rebellion. The only reason I know that is because I have. Well, you must know by now that that rebellion has only caused you misery. And you've continued to rebel for the sake of something that you call me. God says, I don't care whether that is a I don't care whether that's laws of the state, government, police, or parents. They are set up for one singular purpose by the power of God to do one thing, and that is to cause you to see through, to see that they are nothing. You see through them to the Father. And they are no different than any kind of other chastisement that occurs in your life. But I want you to see that the moment you rebel against police, law, parents, systems of authority, bosses, you're rebelling against God incarnate. And you would do the same thing if it was God that was telling you to do. I don't I hope you understand the implications of this. I get this picture of the worst case, you know, standing in line at Auschwitz or wherever, and you know, going to the slaughterhouse. Comes up and, well, not even me. It would be, you know, I have two beautiful twin baby boys, and he Make comes a up and wants to mutilate them in his experiment. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, is unjust, then that authority has no right to exist. 
Where in the world did you get that? <laughs> Sounds like some platitude you learned in communism. <clears throat> where did you get that? That's the way I was raised to believe. Where? So therefore it came from somebody else. It didn't come from God. It came from the cell. It came from the idea that God is capable of. A, I mean, that man is capable of, of defining for himself justice. Is it just for for 15 million Ethiopian babies to die? Do you, don't you see what we do? We've taken our lifetime and we've defined a narrow slice of things that we think we can have control over in that. And we've said, and in that narrow slice, we've defined what we think is just or unjust. What's good and evil. We're back to the same tree of knowledge of good and evil. God is doing something totally different. It has nothing to do with what you define as systems of justice in this world. doesn't it doesn't make a flip define your highest justice in this world so what you're saying then is that there's no difference between right and wrong I'm saying that the essence of sin is you judging for yourself what's good and evil that's why Adam fell that's why Adam and Eve that's why mankind fell the, the fall is because they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and made themselves to be as gods, judging for themselves good and evil. That's why Christ said, except you become as a little child, you shall no wise enter the kingdom. I mean, this is, this, this is the essence of the test. It's the essence of faith. And this is the one that will crush you. Just do what you're told. But hear me. And don't question. Hear me. You do it because you see that that authority is from the hand of God. Then the moment you do that, you've taken the covering off you, and the seed of God in you is, is longing for union with the Spirit of God in eternity. And God will move heaven and earth to protect that seed. It's a, what, it's something totally different going on than what you think it is. It has nothing to do with what it looks like. You must know that by now. I mean, there's not one of you would have been here if you found justice, if, if, if justice would, if your idea of justice would have been satisfied up to this point. Every one of you think you've been, you know, unjust things have happened to you, and you're all your great and nice attempts to be something have failed. Yeah, they failed because your great and nice attempts to do something were BS. Your great and nice attempts to define 
what was equity and just was BS. You must know that by now. Something else is going on. God is making and fashioning a bride that has nothing to do with this world. I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, of, I'm sitting here thinking about two specific scenes. One, I mean, the God of the whole universe standing there quietly letting people nail him up without mm -hmm. insisting. And the other one was, was was when Satan took him and showed him all the kingdoms of all time, and he saw all the pain and all the suffering, and he could have all the disease, and could have changed it in an instant, and didn't, and didn't resist. Don't you understand who we're dealing with? We're dealing with the God that created everything. But in order for you to deal with and have commerce with the God that created everything, you have to crucify the false God that has been your God for your entire life. And that's this, your mind. You don't crucify it by being a dummy. You crucify it by seeing the end. I mean, if anybody wants to debate me about intelligent aspects of science, culture, we'll debate it all night. Or justice, or equity, or... That's not the issue. You're not even in the right ball game. And you run around, and, and five minutes after you leave here, you know, somebody will run a red light, or, you know, and you'll forget this. And you'll, you'll be back in the wrong ball game again. You'll be playing the wrong game. From God's standpoint, you're trying to swim on asphalt. That's the message. That's the essence of everything that I've told you for all this time. Because all your life you've been playing the wrong game. The game that this group is about has nothing to do with any sense of equity, justice, systems of thought, science, political systems, corporate systems. It has nothing to do with anything, save God. But my point to you is every the, the, this, this, this system over here that the world is playing in, is a value to God for one reason because it tests the real it tests the only game you know you've been you've been if you to use the analogy you've been sitting there playing uh, canasta the rules of canasta and God's been playing poker and you wonder why you lose <clears throat> hmm? 
you can go play that game some more if you want to. You know, go out there, play the game of cause and effect. Play the game of your ridiculous ideas of justice and right and wrong. Your miserable ideas of what you define as success or failure. You know, you go, go compare yourself to the world. Go play the game of talent or intelligence. You can go play in the world all you want. Go swim in the asphalt some more. And then when you're tired of swimming in the asphalt, come back here. But as long as you desire to play the game that's out there, you will not understand anything that's going on here. And you want to, and what the words I say to you will be worse than greed. sitting here thinking that uh, had, I prob had I been in Saul's shoes or, or even or one of his men when they were told to kill you know just, the, the, the you Amalekites you wouldn't have killed them you'd have saved, saved the best part yeah, I would have saved the baby or the good looking woman That's to me. That's the worst thing. Is, is is having to kill, being ordered to kill. Is it finally getting through your thick skulls? Have you been playing the wrong game? Every time I smoke a joint, that remember it. I never forget it. <coughs> yeah, I remember it. It's what finally ruined it for me. I was going to ask you, Harry. It's what ruined it right there. I wouldn't eat mashed potatoes if it was against the law. It's what ruined it. Not because I'm righteous, because, I, because I've learned the stupidity of rebellion. In most instances, a lot of places, I'm still rebellious. But the that the point of it is, is that it's not that you give a value set, it doesn't matter whether it's mangle or stealing your kids or you're having to make a choice between your kids as in Sophie's choice or whether you're going to marching to the gas chambers or your mother tells you that you should do this. God doesn't see degrees of rebellion. He sees you're either in this arena or that arena. And if you're over in that arena, God says, man, go for it. Do good or do evil, that we may behold it together and all be dismayed. Doesn't matter. Okay, so Hagar... <coughs> Huh? Where are we now? Well, we're, we're back in Genesis where we started. Yeah. <coughs> so Hagar was going back to Pharaoh. And God, and God, the angel, God, came and said, Submit.
But submitting without a promise is stupid. <laughs> the promise of God is that in submission, in submitting, the promise is revealed. What is the promise? You know, I can give you all kinds of theological answers to that what is the promise, but the promise manifested in your experience is peace, contentment, desire of your heart fulfilled. Lack of fear, lack of anxiety, some material things. That you own all things. Everything in the universe exists for your purpose. Everything that's happening in the universe happens to show you something. That you're an heir. So that's a submission with the promise. Rebellion with the, with the apparent salvation or something of the isolated self. So submission then is, is in a very real sense evidence that you believe God. Of course, yeah, it's the only evidence. You can say you believe God all day. God didn't give a flip. He said, so what? James says, you say you believe in God? Good. So do the demons. And they tremble. You say you believe in God, you don't even tremble. But you're so constructed that you, without whether you want to or not, when, when you have to see physical evidence. In other words, you try if 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 you 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 if 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 what you say and what you do doesn't i.e. work, then you will run from it. That's why you've run from everything you've ever been involved with. Should we should we count the marriages that people have been involved with? Should we count the plans and schemes that everybody here has been involved with? Should we count the relationships here that everybody's been involved with? Have any of them worked? Of course not. Not one of them have worked. But they all sounded great. They all, every plan, every scheme, every idea, all, you all started, you all had a honeymoon with that idea. Because in a true sense, at that moment, you became married to that idea, to that concept, to that plan. And so for a moment, you were full blush with the joy of that idea, and your mind took great delight in, if, if, the, if it was a scheme for fame or something, you your mind took great delight in saying, okay, when I get this stuff, then this is going to happen. 
just like in a marriage. Okay, it didn't work. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be here. You'd, first of all, you'd have probably shot me by now. And, and guess what, folks? Every plan that you have tonight, every ambition that you have tonight, every idea that you have tonight, the same thing's going to happen. It's going to fail. Well, failure begets failure, and what you wind up with is abjection. No. Not in all cases. But you wind it's up a possibility. with... Well, of course it is. If God doesn't if God doesn't exist, you'll wind up in suicide. I mean, the evidence that everything that you can dream of is going to fail is the fact that you know you're going to die. But most of you have put that so far out of your mind it doesn't even exist. And you call that mental health. Because the world calls it mental health. I mean, do you understand that no plan that you're that you have, no ideas and schemes that you have thought up, every one is going to fail. What about like our, our thing about the tabernacle? I mean, you can't say every every one of them is going to fail. Especially the religious ones. <laughs> yeah, we've had jillions. So we of should never even talk about anything. Need. No, we go, we go, we go, we go, we go, we go. We fail. We do what we do, and we press the edges of our habitation. When God stops it, what do you mean fail? Not work. What does that mean? Whatever you define it as. Mm -hmm. I want to run here. Okay, let me give you an example. What if we don't? Okay, I def well, you, well, then you're you're kidding yourself. You're hustling yourself, which is really dumb. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, my idea. I was going to be a millionaire before I was thirty. I was. On paper, I was worth five and a half million dollars. So, by some people's definition, my plan succeeded. But it was stupid. Didn't mean anything. It was as though I didn't succeed. So, in other words, what you're saying, I believe, is uh, that when you reach a goal, it's not what you thought it was going to be, or it doesn't make. You well, but my point is, most of you aren't going to reach your goal. I mean, there's only about two percent of the population that ever reaches their goal. But even that 2%, it doesn't matter. They're no better off than the ones that don't reach their goal. I mean, look, start opening your eyes. Look around you. Every one of the people on Skid Row had great plans and ambitions. All of these little people that live in these ticky-tacky little houses and their double-knit suits and their double-knit personalities all had great plans. Oh, honey, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to have a nice little house and a picket fence. We're going to raise nice children. 
and they're failures. Okay, that's the standard, the straight, the accountant types. Okay, and let's go to the hippie types, the rebellious types. They're the saddest of all, the non-conforming conformists. They failed miserably, even in their failure they failed. <laughs> they failed at being a failure. Well, look at, yeah. You understand that you were, you gotta get it, you gotta get it through your head. You, you were created to fail. It's the greatest thing in the world. So you finally learn that the only thing that you give importance to in your being is that which doesn't change with time. You know, I mean, again, to, to you know, this, this isn't... Uh, this isn't a seminar in successful living. <laughs> oh, I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> Sign up with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paid your $500 session. <laughs> this isn't the essence of This isn't, I'm not Zig Ziglar. That's what you believe. Do you understand what is going on, the reason that this is set up this way? God wants you to be here. He doesn't want you to be there. Ever. He wants you to give everything now. Because there may not be a there. As long as you continue to think that there's a there, then pretty soon, one of these mornings, you're going to wake up and time's ended. So, I mean, and it's only because of God's patience that he hadn't stopped it already. But, but guess what? Just as the scriptures say that Noah condemned the world by him building in obedience the ark, so a group of believers will condemn the world when they see it's finished. And time will end. I had this great discussion with a guy that believed in reincarnation. And I said, well, what happens to reincarnation when time ends? I mean, if you can't have any more karmas to, to resolve, I mean, if time, time, all false religion always is a function of the passage of time, including most of Christianity. All false ideas and ambitions that you have are a function of the passage of time. 
anything that you're involved with that's time dependent is spiritual masturbation. But except it's not even fun. Now, can, the interesting part is try to define something that you're involved with that isn't time dependent. If that doesn't push you to the limit, but think of it. Think of all your little ideas. Okay, this is going to happen then. When all of these little things, one, two, three, when, when this takes place, then that, then this, then that, and that, then this will happen. So when we realize all this, what makes us any different from the guys down on Skid Row that already know? They know Same what? Same thing you're talking about. What do they know? That uh, <clears throat> all the pursuits of the whole world is uh, in vain. What's the difference? Well, that's our we great. Have a, we have the, a difference, the difference is one singular difference. Faith. The guys in Skid Row are the ultimate in self-seeking. Just like, you know, these kind of convoluted thoughts, just like shyness is the greatest form of pride. Just like the bum on Skid Row, is, he makes the, the, their self-seeking makes Bunker Hunt look like a saint. Because everything they're about is self-indulgence. Go talk to him sometime. Everything is if only. Oh, I almost made it. If only that bitch wouldn't have done this and this, I'd have made it. Pass the wine. That's reasonable. I make a great bomb. <clears throat> Can you see yourself in that picture? You, you pass the wine of self-seeking, which is the drunkenness of Ephraim in the scriptures. You get drunk on a, an alleged plan that's going to take place. It's just as the same as getting drunk on a case of beer. <clears throat> Give me some Jack Daniels. Let me let me think of let me think of something else that I can project myself in up there. Let me think of another fantasy. Right. Does, does everybody understand just a little bit? I think what you're trying to say over here. Uh, I mean. I'm sure you're saying it, but uh, I'm trying to understand it. Is that uh, everybody has to uh, to give their entire life in trust to God before they can really succeed at anything? 
Yeah. No. <laughs> Wrong again. Wrong. If you've given, if you've presented yourself as a living sacrifice, then God is your reward. Success or failure become they don't even, they're not even in your vocabulary anymore. Do you realize? Did you, I mean. You realize that you know. I mean, I still have friends in high places, and they think I'm absolutely crazy. No. Yeah. <laughs> you you understand that one of my best friends for years is now the assistant White House secretary. That another friend that that I travel around with for two years, giving seminars, was George Bush, the vice president of the United States. That another friend was Ross Perot. We started our corporations at the same year. I mean, they think I am absolutely nuts. <laughs> but I scare the shit out of them. I mean, it doesn't, because once you stop giving any importance to their value systems, then automatically you become a threat to them. Now, if I'm, if I'm running around saying, praise God, brethren, come over here and let me teach you how to be a successful Ross Perot, or to be a successful George Bush, or to be to, to have all of those, i.e., successes, then you're no threat to them. They just laugh at you. How to have a happy marriage, <laughs> or how to raise nice kids, or, you know. Then you're just then you're just another product in the spiritual supermarket. Okay, let's go to the spiritual Kroger's today, and we'll pull this off the wall and we'll get a little bit of this. But God isn't interested in that. God isn't interested in you being a success or failure at anything. He's interested in you beginning to pay attention and give breath to only one thing, to the receptivity of who you contain. That your life is Christ. And whatsoever is a gain to you in any dimension. Do you understand? Failure can be a gain to you. Success can be a gain to you. But whatever is a gain to you in any dimension is a loss for Christ. Learning the Bible can be a gain to you. Anything can be a gain to you. And anything that's a gain to you is a loss for Christ. Period. Okay. So we've seen... We've talked about submitting, but submitting without a promise is stupid. The only way that I've been able to submit is, is because I saw the promise. My only job is to show you the promise before I demand submission. And the test of the submission isn't in some, you know, you go out in the world and you do all kinds of stuff, but, you know. The test of submission is that you submit yourself here one to another. Not to some authority, but in love, in the meeting of the need and whatever occurs and concern and all of the other stuff. Herein is the love of God perceived that you lay down your life for the brethren. There's a bunch of ugly people here. 
You're going to lay down your life for a bunch of ugly, dumb people. Well, you, you've either got to be seeing that, you're, you're, that something else is going on, or you're really stupid. I mean, this is a totally unsuccessful ministry. Okay. Let's talk about Ishmael for a moment. Is it a coincidence that Ishmael and Ishmael sound so much alike? I'm sorry. Are you being dead to Thomas John? Sorry, I said. Um, Ishmael, the, the promises of God, and we've, and you, you, we sometimes forget this, but there's been only three monotheistic religions in the history of the world. Every Every religion, every one God religion is based on what God said to Abraham. Ishmael and his descendants, which are the Arabs, think that the promises of God went to Ishmael. The Jews believe the promises of God went to Isaac. And the Christians wow. believe... That's, it's like the, the promises did go to to Hagar in submission. That's right. And that, and that was just the same type of faith. And same as it did. Amen. And we're going to finish the circle. The Jews believe the promises of God went to Isaac, and the Christians believe the promises of God go to, any, to go to someone that calls himself a Christian. But the lesson of Hagar right here is what Peach has said, that the promises of God go only to those who are in submission. Because in submission, the seed to whom the one promise was made, the seed of Christ, which is in all men, in that submission, the seed of Christ is revealed in them. Everybody understand that? So it's, it's, there's no more Jew or Greek or Muslim or male or female, bond or free, nothing. It's revealed in the submission that the promises come to the seed. So submission, it's a terrible word, especially wives hate submission. But we are to see each other, we are to submit to each other in the same way a wife is supposed to submit to the husband. The only reason the wife submits to the husband is because she sees as unto the Lord. The only reason you submit to the brethren is because you see as that brethren is unto God. The only reason you submit to the world and their law and the system of law is because you see that it's ordained of God and all those bastards are ministers of God. You don't have to like it. Okay? Well, the, word, the word Ishmael and, and, it, and herein is even the promise revealed to the, to, the, to the bond slave. The word Ishmael means God will hear. Sarah, God's, I mean Abraham's wife, the word is, 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 is again the type. The word wife is the Hebrew word ishah, isha. Guess what Isha also means? It's the sacrifice that's been burned with fire. 
Again, it's revealed the bride. The bride is tested by the fire presented to the Father. But if you won't submit to some little role, you certainly, man, as soon as that heat comes, you're going to run. God wants you so fully tested in every dimension that you will pass through the fire without being burned. And that doesn't come by being religious. It comes by being real. It comes by laying down your life in 24 hours a day when you finally see the futility of continuing seeking after your own will and your own way. When you just get tired of it. It doesn't work anymore. It's dumb. Amen? Amen. all kinds of fun stuff we could have with uh, Ishmael. Uh, I don't say that. <clears throat> That's quick. I don't feel like that. What we're going to look at next week, I mean, next time we meet, whenever that is, what day is it? Okay, what I'm going to talk to you about, just for a brief minute, because a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about now comes from the historicity stuff, not the spiritual stuff, but the historicity stuff comes from all of these, there's, there's many, many books, like the Gospel of, you know, all these Gospels, all these Acts and Epistles and Apocrypha, apocalyptic literature, you know, the, the Testament of Job, the Testament of Abraham, the Testament of Adam, the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, the Odes of Solomon, the Psalter of Solomon, the Book of Jubilees, the Fourth Book of Ezra, the Book of Jasher, the Assumption of Moses, the Apocalypse of Baruch, the Book of Enoch. All these are books that for one reason or another weren't included in the canon, what we now call the Bible. And then there's all kinds of New Testament ones. All kinds, I mean, it goes on and on. But I spent about three years reading all of these. And so it's, you, you find interesting stuff. It doesn't change the revelation. Revelation is the same, but it makes, it's, you, you can add flesh to some of these little isolated incidents by the study of this stuff. So I want to go over with you. And so if you're interested, you can go and look these books up yourselves. Okay? And we'll talk about how each one of the books of the Bible became, got into the Bible, and why it's considered. You know, again, remember, Christ only considered Christ and the apostles and all of the people of the Jews' time. They only considered one thing, Scripture. That was the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the only thing that was that was Scripture. Everything else was an expansion on the tale, an expansion of the Revelation. Okay? I quit. I'm stupid.